Hello and welcome to LTC DON Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Directors of Nursing Services, AADNS. I'm your host, Rebecca, and today AADNS Curriculum Development Specialist, Denise Winzeller, will talk about tips the Director of Nursing Services, DNS, can use to remain calm and present compelling evidence of compliance to a surveyor. Welcome, Denise. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm glad to be here to discuss this important topic with you. Survey naturally produces some tension and anxiety, especially when the scope and severity of the deficiency that a survey team is considering is significant. My hope is that some of the tips we will be discussing today can help relieve some of that stress. Great, let's get started. Denise, where should the DNS start when trying to present their case? Rebecca, it's imperative to know and understand the regulation in question so that any discussions with the survey team are informed. The State Operations Manual, SOM, Appendix PP, is the best resource for that knowledge and understanding. It states what the regulation is, but also provides instructions, checklists, and tools the surveyors utilize to investigate compliance. There are also interpretive guidelines through which the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, clarifies the regulations with explanations, definitions, and examples of noncompliance. Remember, according to Section 2712 in Chapter 2 of the SOM Guidelines, Use of Survey Protocol in Survey Process, states the decision of compliance must be based upon observation of the facility's performance, practices, or conditions of the facility. If the DNS requires further assistance to understand the regulation, they should contact the regulatory expert available to the facility. Denise, once the DNS has an understanding of the regulation, what is the next step? Rebecca, the next step is to gather the evidence. Strong evidence is the backbone of a strong defense. The evidence shared with the surveyor depends on the area of review. However, there are some common documents and sources to consider. I think it might be beneficial for our listeners if we have a scenario to relate to when discussing evidence to produce. So let's say, a surveyor approaches the DNS and shares that the team is investigating an acquired pressure injury and preliminary findings suggest that the facility has not met the requirements for F686, treatment and services to prevent and heal pressure ulcers. Unless the DNS can produce evidence that contradicts their current assessment of the acquired pressure injury, The survey team will cite a deficiency at harm level. The DNS, confident that everything was done to prevent the pressure injury, is shocked the survey team is considering issuing a citation and becomes anxious. So using this scenario, let's discuss some sources and documents that could be presented to the survey team. Number one is the facility policy. 
These policies outline the facility's plan and requirements. Ensure that the policy meets federal and state requirements and is current regarding the pertinent clinical practice guidelines. Read through the policy very carefully and, like the regulation, be sure to understand it fully. Build a defense off of the policy to show how the facility has followed it. If there's an area where the facility has not followed the policy or where there was a weakness, show how the facility addressed that. Policies relevant to pressure injuries may include pressure injury prevention, assessment, and treatment. Next is physician orders. This is the record of medical treatment and plan. So make sure to highlight physician orders for treatment of the pressure injury, physician orders for nutritional support, and physician orders for consultation or other pertinent to the pressure injury. Next is medication administration records and treatment administration records, or MARS and TARS. These are documented records of medications and treatments administered to the resident and reflect compliance or lack thereof with physician orders. Highlight any medications such as vitamin C and zinc that the resident received before acquiring the pressure injury as well as while having the wound, along with any refusals of medications. For treatments, Highlight any preventative treatments the resident received before acquiring the pressure injury, as well as treatments to any current pressure injuries. And again, make sure to highlight any refusals of treatment. Next are weekly skin assessments. These are records of the assessment of the skin that illustrate proactive nursing care to identify any skin anomalies early. Highlight the length of time the resident did not have an acquired pressure injury. Weekly wound assessments. This is a comprehensive assessment of any type of wound. Highlight how treatment correlated with the assessment of the pressure injury. So for example, perhaps alginate was used due to heavy drainage and once the wound characteristics changed and there were no longer any heavy drainage, hydrogel and collagen were used to keep the wound moist and encourage epithelialization. Secondly, correlate any peer-reviewed clinical articles that provide evidence for that treatment. The next document is CNA monitoring tools. This is documentation conducted by CNAs that reflects monitoring and reporting of skin anomalies, such as CNA shower sheets. The next document is care plan. The care plan shows the individualized comprehensive approach detailing resident preferences and wishes and how they will be cared for. They can help to show the surveyor that the facility planned for quality care. Highlight the risks that were identified prior to the pressure injury, the resident's goals and wishes, and interventions that were provided. 
highlight the updates to the care plan once the pressure injury developed and correlate that with the medical treatment and overall resident condition, including any changes in condition or changes in their preferences and wishes. And note the use of any cardex or any other process to communicate the interventions on the care plan. The next document is risk assessments. These are assessments such as the Braden assessment that identify risks for various conditions and can be used to help develop the care plan. Manufacturing guidelines is next. These guidelines identify when and how a product should be used. In the case of skin issues, information from the manufacturer can help to clarify what stages of pressure ulcers a mattress can be used for, or how to properly clean a mattress without causing damage, and more. And finally, the DNS may need to show evidence in the form of a performance improvement plan, PIP, corrective action, or minutes from the QAPI meeting documenting that the facility is addressing the issue in question. It's all right to acknowledge that the facility may have an issue. The key is to show that the facility acknowledged the issue, has put a plan in place, and is following the plan to correct the issue. If the facility can show that it's correcting an issue, it may prevent a citation under 483.75 QAPI-related F-tags in Appendix PP of the State Operations Manual. Or, if a citation is unavoidable, demonstrating that remediation is underway may mitigate the scope and severity of the citation. Thank you, Denise. Before we get to the next area, let's take a quick commercial break. Listeners, please stay tuned. Learn how to translate data into actionable information and drive performance improvement with AADNS's newly updated QAPI Certified Professional Education and Certification Program. You'll get practical and relevant quality improvement education that can be applied in all aspects of QAPI. Learn more at AADNS dash ltc dot org slash education slash qcp dash certification. Welcome back. Let's continue our discussion with Denise Winzeller about tips for presenting compelling evidence of compliance during survey. Denise, what is the next area the DNS should use to show compliance? Rebecca, the next area is education. Provide a record of all education completed related to the issue. This may include in-person education, webinars, memos, skills fair, and one-on-one -on -one just-in-time learning sessions. When presenting the records for education to the surveyors, include the following attendance or completion of learning records with the associated purpose or objectives, and an overview of the education, handouts or learning materials used, and this may include policies and procedures, quizzes, articles, examples, manufacturer guidelines, and so on. Staff competencies, 
and any resources utilized for education. Great, Denise. Should facilities provide only written documentation or are there other sources of information the DNS can utilize? Great question, Rebecca. There are other resources as well. And remember, it's okay to get help. There are many resources available and they should be used. Resources can be anything ranging from academic articles to corporate staff to outside vendors. In the case of the pressure ulcer scenario, some resources that could have been utilized may include the corporate nurse. They know the policy and may be able to assist with how the DNS presents the policy. The corporate attorney. They know the regulation and can assist the DNS with interpreting it and how to discuss the regulation with the surveyors. Physician or nurse practitioner caring for the residents or that specialize in wounds. They can speak with the surveyor themselves regarding the current treatment plan, why that plan was utilized, and any previous treatments that may have failed and why. Vendors utilized for wound equipment or wound care treatments. Vendors can discuss parameters of use for equipment or treatments and why it's the best one to use. The pharmacist, he or she can relate any medications that may inhibit or support healing. The National Pressure Ulcer Advisory Panel. The DNS can obtain the latest information regarding pressure ulcers or injuries. And lastly, the dietitian. The dietitian can discuss dietary interventions implemented to assist with wound healing. Denise, once the DNS has all of the information, what should they do? Rebecca, now that the DNS has everything gathered, it's time to present the evidence in a professional manner. Avoid giving the surveyors the information and expecting them to sift through it themselves. That can lead to misunderstandings. Review the supporting documentation with them to ensure understanding and field any further questions they may have. There should be two people from the facility present for the discussion. All surveys should have a point person designated to the surveyors that they can contact with requests and questions. Usually this is either the administrator or the DNS, and this person should be present along with whomever is most knowledgeable regarding the issue in question. Limiting the discussion to two people also mitigates the risk of multiple answers to any question a surveyor may have. And should the facility be utilizing an outside source, such as the medical director, then allow them to take part in the conversation as well, but only after the initial presentation of the facts. Present the supporting documentation in an organized fashion so it tells a story. Arrange the documentation so it presents from the beginning of the issue to present day. Talk through the documents and explain them thoroughly so the surveyors understand and leave no room for interpretation. Be transparent. If the DNS doesn't know the answer to a question, they can tell the surveyor they'll have to get back to them on that. 
never try to bluff through it. That usually does not work out and may affect the relationship with the survey team. Emotions during surveys, especially adverse surveys, run high. And when discussing the facility's point of view, be professional and non-confrontational. Some questions may be unsettling, but stay calm. Being argumentative with the surveyor never ends well. Should the discussion become heated and argumentative, take a deep breath, and if needed, tell the surveyor a private moment is needed and leave the room to gain composure. The DNS should return to the discussion only when they can present the facility's side and feel questions from the surveyor in a calm manner. Although a facility is not going to win a discussion with surveyors all the time, if these tips are followed, the discussions will go a lot smoother and the relationship with the facility and the survey team will remain intact and they may even improve. Thank you, Denise. This was a lot of information, but it's something that our listeners should definitely hear about. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. If this podcast was helpful to you, don't hesitate to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss a future episode. For more survey readiness resources, please visit our website at www.aadns-ltc.org. 